listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Nouvelle. It's not just a job. It's not just a paycheck. Or at least it doesn't have to be. With the help of experts across industries, Dirk helps you find your passion and career, as well as exposing the unknown parts of every vocation. Let's go deep. Let's find your genius zone right now. Here's Dirk Nivelle. Hey everybody, this is Dirk, and I'm super excited. With me uh, is a, a friend that I've had for many years who was a teacher of mine in high school, and then, you know, we became very close. Uh, Tim Riley, how are you? I'm well. Thanks. Fun to see you. Thank you, man. Um, so, yeah, like I said, Tim, uh, I went to Eastside Catholic in Bellevue, and Tim was a, a coach of mine. He was my religion teacher, and, um, you know, those are important years, and, and I was going through a lot. My parents were divorcing, and Tim was just kind of a in a way, a, a friend and a father figure, and um, he's always meant a lot to me, and I've always admired Tim in terms of his career and, and just kind of doing what he was called to do. And the cool thing about Tim and some of my other guests is they do different things. They have dual incomes, dual jobs, life changes, and he's done a lot of cool things later in life that we're going to talk a little bit about. But maybe, Tim, I can just throw it back at you, and you can Tell me a little bit about what it is you do, what you've done, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Uh, which direction you want to go now and build backwards or start at the beginning? Let's do this because people are tuning in. They're going to find you um, through a search and they're going to they're going to go off of teaching. Um, and, you know, I also have entrepreneur in there because you have a side business. So let's talk a little bit about the teaching life that you have and talk about how you got into it you know, where you taught, and then we'll get into the weeds on kind of the life behind a teacher. Right. All right. Uh, I uh, graduated from college with a degree in psychology uh, and an under uh, and a minor in theology. Uh, because of an experience I had my junior year in high school at a retreat, um, at, at your school where I was with you, we call it destiny. Uh, it was search when I was in high school. I remember the, the climactic evening of that thing when you probably recall such a big emotional night of that thing and we get letters from people and stuff like that. I was just awash in this euphoric certainty that I could not just go to work somewhere. I have to do something that's of service I have to do something that's useful to young people who are lost, troubled, and haven't figured it out yet. I don't know what it's going to be, but I know that's what I need to do. And uh, and it made me nervous as I was in college. I thought, I don't even know how to monetize this, right? I don't want to go to eight more years of school or whatever and so on. But, but when I finished that, I was still, as I remember you were, we spoke a lot about it, still really nervous about finding my thing, you know, what that's going to be. And so I thought, I, 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 that's definitely adolescence. I don't know. I'm going to go do a one-year teaching credentialing program at Lewis and Clark, and I'm going to start teaching high school. Um, then I'll always have my summers if that doesn't work out, and I can do ongoing education and kind of channel back to psychology if I want to do that. But then the other extra fun thing is 
because I was always an athlete, I can coach. And so I can be a teacher and coach and let's, let's see how that rolls. You know, so I got teaching credentials and I pursued teaching jobs by going to the track coaches at different schools, Jim Walters, as you know, just so someone there would kind of put my name at the front of the list, uh, for interviews. And I got hired at each side. I felt a little bit like an imposter. Like, I'm not sure I'm really a teacher. I'm positively not a religion teacher. I'm no religious, you know, fanatic or anything. Right. I was just kind of a, I would, I would say I was kind of a spiritual guy, but I don't think you want me as a role model. And they're like, no, 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 we do. You're just right. Kids will be able to relate to you. And I'm like, you know, yeah. I found out that I had ways to teach kids that, that really, uh, um, connected with them. It was not pious. It was not judgmental. I never promoted ethnicity or confirmation for kids or any of that stuff. I also taught English which was, was easier for me. I, I felt a little more authentic in that. Um, but I was able to uh, create classroom environments in which I could really ask penetrating questions of kids that made everything we talked about real personal and meaningful for them. And, and to build a retreat-like atmosphere in my classrooms where kids can literally just unload. And if it, it, it periodically got teary and sincere and kids were like, this is the greatest class, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I said, well, okay, so th- that works for me. That This makes yeah. it meaningful for me. And so I kept doing that for quite a long time. And then I also developed this Povolk camp business. I was a uh, passionate but uncoached and unsupported pole vaulter as a child. I don't know what happened to me, but it was always a love of mine. So I was coaching pole vaulters uh, at Eastside too. And then I, I, in pursuit of that, I found mentors who really, really knew how to do it. And suddenly the pole vaulters at Eastside became the best in the whole area, the best in the state. And people wanted to know what I was doing. So I was like, woof, okay, well, I'll run a camp, but I don't know if anybody will come. And boy, did they come. So for 30 years, it was just like springs and summers. It, it was like a go-to place for pole vault help and coaches and, and, uh, athletes from all over Oregon and Washington and stuff would do that. I only say that yeah. because my current chapter has uh, returns to that. Um, so the, the teaching thing, I didn't fall into it because I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I had a, a sort of deeper, more rooty instinct that I, I wanted to serve and in and and, and the humanities and education. Um, the kinds of materials that we're reading, the content of that, and the daily uh, classroom uh, experience with kids. Yep. I found it really in a weird way. I don't even know if it would happen today. The way I connected with you guys at Eastside, uh, you were my first freshman uh, basketball team <laughs> guys. And, and, and when I was a young teacher there, families would literally call me and say, hey, we're leaving town. Would you come and sit with our kids for the weekend, stay at the house? And, you know, like, well, okay. That's pretty weird, right? In this day and age, I don't think that kind of stuff would happen, but I was so <laughs> um, integrated with families and kids back then. Um, and once I moved to Seattle Prep and I had my own little family, I did a lot less of that. Right. Uh, you know, and the world changed, you know, I, I don't think that that, that kind of uh, um, fraternity was was was, it, was, it was customary. So hey, that's uh, how I got into it. Real quick, I, I don't mean to jump in. I, it's no big deal, but do you see, uh, it's funny, your video, you keep going back and forth. Do you see that? Well, I think my iPad keeps trying to focus on me. It's doing oh. its job. Uh, 
Yeah, I'll try to sit still, but I get I, so excited seeing you, Dirk. I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. I just thought I, I'd never seen that. I feel like you're leaving me. Yeah, right? My and videos. Maybe, maybe it's symbolic. Maybe you're leaving and coming <laughs> back. Um, by the way. Um, I wonder if there's something I could do to stop that. I see it's is it trying to zoom in and out on me. That's no good, is it? It. I don't know. I've never seen it before. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, this will be an audio and video. So, um Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a a feature there where maybe if you if stay- there is, I don't know. This iPad's smarter than I am. I see it's got a, it's got a, uh, it's just trying hard to stay focused on me. It's cool. Um, I can switch it to my phone and I won't do that. Well, I'll switch to my laptop. You're fine. Well, uh, if we're switching, we're starting over. So I don't know if you want to do that. No, we're fine. We, I mean, this is natural let's i think the closer you are to the screen the less it does that okay. um maybe that might help plus you're so handsome i think it's important yeah right that the world sees the okay. truth okay uh by the way i gotta say you were uh you did take care of me on some weekends right when my mom was out of town yeah and i think you were more strict than my mom <laughs> okay i just <laughs> I just, I, love <laughs> I, I think I remember one night I had Kim Zetter over and Jamie McDonald and you're like, what time are they going home? And I just remember, I don't know if my mom would be out, but you were great. You were a good friend of mine. Um, <laughs> so sorry to interrupt you, but keep going as far as, cause I think this is interesting. Like when I'm listening to you, you know, you had a lot of clarity at a younger age that I think sometimes it takes years to, to have. Um, and so, you know, the meaning and the wanting to serve, I guess my question is before you went to LC, like what were, who was in your life that was giving you those voices? Was this something that you just had or was it a family thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I had, uh, I came from a family of a whole lot of Jesuit priests and many of them were teachers and I spent a lot of time with them. And it never occurred to me that I wanted to do what they're doing. But there is a whole justice orientation, a whole kingdom building orientation, how to make a better world and all that kind of a thing. Um, and to find solidarity with folks who are kicked to the margins of society. And so in a high school, to me, that means the kid in my class who's, who's mopey, who I find out whose folks are divorcing, or who I find out, you know, has any number of other things going on or is bullied or whatever like. I found myself just zooming in on those little uh, uh, spots, you know, and 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 just I just feel like there's there's an it's like fetch for me though. It's like oh my gosh, there's another kid who is uh, doubting himself. I got this. Um, my dad was a teacher, but I never knew him. He passed away when I was two. So people say, oh my gosh, is that why you became a teacher? And I'm like, no. Uh, maybe there was something in DNA, but I mean, I I was so unprocessed about that loss. I never even thought about him. Um, so I don't know uh, if there was something. I, I could look back at high school and think of very few teachers I really love. Uh, and in college, yes, a lot of them. But it, it wasn't really clear to me that teaching would be a thing. In fact, I was a poor, kind of not a poor, I, I was a accomplished student, but really a goofball um, clown, and I was in it for sport and fun and social life. So when old classmates of mine heard I was teaching, they would always be like, 
what? Are you crazy? <laughs> you know, what do you do with guys like you? I say, I connect. <laughs> I, I, Maybe that's why I we connected. Work with them. I understand them. School can be a drag. We got to make it relevant, you know, so. Yeah, no, I just said maybe that's why you and I connected. I think, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I was a goofball, but I do remember, which I just thought of this. This is really interesting. So in the last few years ago, I went to University of Santa Monica. It's a spiritual psychology yeah. school. And and I've had a coach for about 10 years and I've I've done a lot of digging in, you know, inner work stuff. And one of the things I've gotten really into is meditation. So I'll meditate every day. Uh, I usually do Joe Dispenza meditations, guided meditations. But I remember freshman year, I'm pretty sure there was a teacher that kicked me out of class. We were doing a meditation and he was, I remember he was telling me to reach for the unicorn and I was being a goofball, I'm sure at ninth grade. But do you remember kicking me out? Was that me? Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. Yeah. like. Well, we're trying to have this kind of powerful meditation, and here you are giggling on that. And, and at the end, you said, "But, Mister Riley, it was when it, when you talked about the horse was, you know, trying to eat sugar cubes out of her hand or something like that." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe it was a bad meditation, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't bad. I think it was Laura, Laura Coyle was next to me, and she started laughing. And so let's blame it on LC. Um, okay, so I didn't mean to cut you off, but." So now, let me tell you yeah. about that kind of unfolding career thing. I know this is what, yeah. Uh, if, if there was, you know, I'm looking at your poster makes me nervous. I don't think I was ever a genius teacher. Um, I, I, I think of people who are like just quintessential teachers. They couldn't go home without reading more about their content the next day and all that. And I, I was not like that, but I was, I was a genius at connecting with adolescents. And so as I, as I approached, uh, I moved once I've moved, uh, 15 years after 15 with you guys, you saw I did 15 at Seattle prep, but I could feel like, oh God, I, I can't keep doing this. I'm burning out. There's so much, you know, return home and grade more papers and faculty meetings. And I just thought, okay, I don't want to be one of those 65, 70 year old teachers that everybody's like, oh, no, I'm not Mr. Riley, you know what? So I, I started feeling a stirring again, you know, like, I know I still want to connect, but, but I, I don't have the energy to be good at this anymore. I, I want to do something different. So I started imagining online teaching. I want to get certified in that. Um, I thought, well, now I, I could do that for a while longer and I could do it for my cabin, for my buddy's ski lodge, or, you know, maybe that's a way to kind of lighten the load and keep doing this. Then I connected with a Jesuit virtual learning academy and they had they had um, specialty courses and I designed two for them. Uh, and they, they were blown away by the, the depth of, of questioning that I, that I could come up with to uh, engage students. They said, oh my gosh, kids are going to thrill to this. You got to do this. And then Seattle U um, commissioned me to design a course for them. And then we designed a course to put Seattle prep students with kids from uh, uh, Crystal Ray, a poor student school in LA and have them in the same classroom. Then I started teaching online in the summers for CLOU and another humanities class that I uh, designed for uh, climate change. So that kind of stuff, I thought, okay, this is, this is my next thing. But then a dad asked me if I wanted to coach pole vaulters year round in a warehouse downtown. And I was like, pole vaulting? 
That's like asking your Labrador, hey, I wonder if you're still interested in fetching after all these years. And I just thought, oh, man. Oh, wait a minute. I want to do that. I'll still, I'll still teach online, but I, I, yes to that. I'm in. So when I started doing that and it started blowing up with popularity, um, that was a surprise to me that I thought, uh, I got this is what I love since I was a child. And one of my favorite readings in my master's program, Lighter in Life, which uh, I didn't even mention, discerning, again, what do I want to do with my remaining years, my remaining life energy? How do I use this sweet, short opportunity to live and serve? Uh, a Parker Palmer book uh, called Let Your Life Speak uh, included a, an exercise to revisit what gave you thrills as a child, like fetch dust to a Labrador. And I thought, pole vaulting, that's what did it, you know? He says if it was art, if it was music, whatever it is, pay attention to that because there's something about that. It's a, it's a cue that you need to not forget. Um, and so it would be difficult to overstate how successful this latest enterprise has been in the last nine years, how this business has grown, how my competence at coaching pole vaulting has grown 10 times more than it had ever been as a camp coach and stuff like that. The, the athletes that I have are uh, killing it. We literally, we go to national meets first, second, third, and sixth. Uh, three people have surpassed the previous All-American, uh, you know, U.S. Uh, uh, national record in my gym. And and it, it's, it's just unbelievable. I, I even have a world champion now. Uh, and so it's funny, but you know, to find, and it's a privilege I recognize, if, if I wasn't privileged and well enough situated that I could play like that and explore like that, have a wife who does the business management for me and have a buddy who says, you can use my gym. You know, it, it takes a village to help an old dude find his lane, but you know, good networking and all that kind of a thing and keeping that, stoking that little sacred fire of what I really love to do has put me in this situation now that's, that's very interesting. Uh, and so, I'm, yeah. I'm a little sad to say I stopped doing the online teaching. It took so much time to check emails and assignments every day and to refresh the course every year. I was like, pole vaulting is, I don't have any prep time. I just flip on the lights and play like a baby. I'm just having so much fun in that environment and the kids love it. I'm still connected with guys like you. And uh, that's, it's a surprising consolation to my silver years prep. I love that. That's you mentioned something about like I don't know if you misinterpreted genius zone as in you got to be the best at what you do. What you're describing is uh, Gay Hendricks is uh, an author that talks a lot about the zone of genius. He wrote a book called The Big Leap, but he talks a lot about going back to when you were a child and like what were the obvious things that lit you up, um, you know. And that's you're describing exactly what the zone of genius is. It's not like you know, you're the best teacher in the world or you have to be the best pole vaulting coach in the world, but you are going back to um, the core of what, who you are. And, and, you know, we all are born into this world, you know, different from others. And there's things that I'm really good at and things I'm not good at. But I think what you're touching on is the fact that you've become um, pretty crystal clear 
and identified what it is that lights you up and you've created a life around that. Um, and the, 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 the issue in this podcast, as far as like the advice that I'm trying to help young adults, uh, with is there's two things you have to take action. You know, you became a teacher. It led to this, led to that, and ultimately became, you know, what you're doing now. So I do understand that sometimes you got to just get out there and play ball. Um, but what I'm trying to do is is find ways to expedite the awareness. Right. And, and I think a lot, a lot of young adults, I should say personally, they don't think in those ways. They have different voices in right. their head about getting a job, getting an apartment, getting married, uh, getting a car. Yeah. Um, any advice that you would give, you know, to help somebody maybe become more in tune you know, maybe drop out of their head and more into their heart and feel like, what is, what is it that I'm supposed to do? You know, what do I want to do where I wake up on a Monday and, uh, I'm happy. Like any advice you might want to give to somebody that's struggling. Wow. Everybody struggles for different reasons and not knowing them, you know, a leader's first job is to listen. Um, my own son heard a lot of the stuff when he was growing up, my oldest. He went off to Fordham to pursue his dream to be a musical theater, you know. It was his happiest time in high school, and he got some great roles. And he got there, and he felt like, what was I kidding? These kids have been tap dancing and singing, you know, and Shirley Temple School since they were in diapers, you know. I can't compete with this, and they're all psychos. Now I'm a failure. What am I going to do? I'm like, look, it's a it's a privilege. I don't I don't even know anybody to be truthful to you who's having so much fun with their daily work as I am right now and is in their lane so sweetly. It doesn't have to be only the most amusing, life-rewarding things every day you go to work. I mean, there's a lot even about teaching. It's a grind. It's a pain. It's it's tiresome. Um, You can continue to pursue those things, though, what you love so much. In your home hours, you can be in a band. You can have a little art studio, you know. You can have your little microphone and and screen set up and interview people, even when you're not at work, you know, um, selling mortgages to people, right? I mean, we can't all now, all those dots all synchronize perfectly. The killer is if we let all those other things um, die out, those embers need fanning and stoking, and we need to continue to indulge in those things. So you got to find what you love, even if there are things about your work that are not what you love. Now, I I would say if you find things about your work which suck the light out of you, you know, uh, you're not as happy as me at work, that's one thing. But if if it's just really like those people, I I cannot live with their ethics in that place or with harassment in that environment or whatever, like that needs serious consideration because we have to listen to our spirit. And our spirit will not sit quietly if things are not okay. We're going to be nauseated, agitated all the time if we're not paying attention to what we need to do. And so those are good things. You're feeling unhappy about your job? Good. Okay. So listen. Yeah. Uh, don't quit necessarily. You got you to start looking for other things and pay more attention. You need to get your journal out. You need some, some reflection time. You got to pay attention to that. Find a, a vocational mentor. You, something uh, so that you can um, you can exercise those muscles of discernment 
which are really, they require time and quiet and probably some other people that you value to bounce some ideas off of. Yeah. Um, not just grumpiness and, uh, and angst about the, the situation you're in. There's an invitation in that. There's a, a you know, a calling, a stirring, yeah. which um, has to be listened to. And I think that people who don't continue to listen to that sometimes become stale, you know, lawyers or teachers or whatever. It's like, oh, I wish they'd do a little more inner work. I wish they'd, you know, realize that they're hard to be around or whatever. Um, yeah. I think that I, I didn't do enough of that for 30 years of teaching until about my last five. Um I don't think I was attentive enough to the kind of colleague I was and, and um, so on. Uh, that when I went back to this late life masters in, in 14, I really wished I could have done that 10 years, 15 years earlier. Uh, I might not have even stayed in teaching as long, but I would have been a better teacher and a better colleague. So now, you know, I've redeemed it a little bit. Um, I'm wiser, more self-aware now than I was. Yeah, I like the word you use, attentive. Um, I think it's really sometimes obvious. Uh, it's easier than sometimes. It's just paying attention to the obvious. And so, again, I don't have all the answers because I know it took me many years to figure some things out. But I think if anything, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, in recent years, you become more attentive to what what fires you up and and I would say to a young adult, maybe struggling that, you know, pay attention to that voice. Um, and, and by the way, you bring up a great point. You know, there's, you know, my father's voice, I can hear it like, just get a job. You don't need to be happy. You know, you're supposed to work and provide and, and then you can spend two weeks or a month, you know, doing the fun stuff. You know, there's people out there. I don't think that care about what it is they do. They just want to fish two weeks a year and ski two weeks a year or whatever. And, you know, that's fine, but my audience, my niche is, is, are those people that want to incorporate passion into what they do. Yeah. You, and, and, and I, I'm fine with both sides of the fence, but what I'm really trying to address is that group that is wanting to have more meaning and impact yep. in, in what they do. Um, getting back to being a teacher, you know, it's obvious people think they know what being a teacher is. You show up, you teach, you create a curriculum you grade. Tell us about some of the things that maybe over the years that surprised you that you didn't see coming, like Good. maybe the politics of being a teacher. Good. I mean, I don't know if you were ever impacted. Like, you know, I know the, the teaching profession didn't pay a ton of money, but it, I really started realizing, you know, in my thirties, that was a big deal for me. Or maybe it was just taking crap from punks, you know, and you can't, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I don't know what it, what it is, but you know, if someone's thinking about being a teacher, is there anything you could say to maybe, you know, not dissuade, persuade them not to pursue this career, but things that maybe aren't obvious. Things that surprised me in teaching, um, but you know, you and I were at Eastside when it was a very young school, and it was really a started by a lot of very enthusiastic parents who, who perhaps rightly felt that they had some ownership over the place. And uh, 
as that school was trying to establish its identity, there were there were a lot of pulls like we got to move this school to to prominence by way of our athletic program, and and if if you don't like it, get out of the way, and we're going to put somebody here who will listen to the way we want to do it. And suddenly the teachers were like, wait a minute, we're letting some students in here that would not normally get into here, and they're becoming problems in our classroom. We don't have the resource to care for that. Blah blah blah. And suddenly there was this big tension of what we felt like was our educational integrity at Eastside. And the year before I left Eastside, 15 teachers left. And the year I left, 17 teachers left. And so it was just like teachers meeting in each other's classrooms, like, oh, how can we live with this? This is so crazy. So it was just a huge kind of a corporate angst. It wasn't the classroom environment. It was just the like, what kind of a ship are we on here? This this is just not right. So that kind of stuff took me by surprise. And I and I know that Eastside has was perhaps better off without us and they've found a way to make it work and they've had some really great years again. They're thriving. And I hear some other grumblings like, oh, we're kind of in another one. Like, yeah, yeah, well, you go through those growing pains when I went to Seattle Prep, a school that had, had been around for a really long time, I thought like, well, it feels good to be at a place that knows who they are and doesn't have to bend over every time a, a parent has a complaint and, uh, you know, and all that kind of thing. So that felt good. There's there's still some of that, you know. Yeah. Uh, everybody has had bosses that they didn't get along with, right? Um, colleagues that were difficult. I'm sure I was one for people. Um so that kind of stuff is not what you think about when you want to become a teacher. Um, Real quick, I want yeah. to ask you this just because it seems like, you know, this is just my opinion, but especially with universities that so much, I don't know, the blur, the line between parenting and teaching, like, mm. um, and I don't want to get too political on this podcast, but do you feel like you were ever in a situation to where you couldn't teach and articulate <laughs> what you wanted, you had to, you know, you had to say words that were from somebody else? Uh, not that. I know what you're getting at. It's a great question. When I was first uh, teaching, they assigned me to a religion, uh, a couple of religion classes at Eastside. I had a really, really conservative dad complaining to the principal that he's not teaching Catholic catechism. You know, and I'm like, dang right I'm not. And luckily... The principal was like, dude, we got this, you know, and he kind of defended me. And, you know, um, later I thought, well, you know, there's, there's a great push for critical thinking, you know, and let's, let's think critically about this and that and the other thing. But but let's not go so far as to think critically about the school itself. We're not going to question our school and we're not going to question Catholic stuff. We can question other things. In fact, we don't really want to question capitalism, right? There are some certain sacred cows that are meaningful for everybody there, which uh, are out of bounds. Otherwise, we can think critically about a science experiment or about, you know. So there's always been a little bit of that. And so it's always been uh, in Catholic schools where I've been, there's always a few kind of things you steer away from so as to not to make trouble. If I was ever, you know, making efforts to be sure that kids felt included, like we had a uh, GSA, a Gay Straight Alliance Club at our school, um, which 
meant a lot to me. I was so grateful that it was there and the students that were there. I always went to all the meetings and stuff like that. Many other schools were, were shut down, not allowed to do that because that's not Catholic. It's like, really? Inclusivity is not? What do you think? We're promoting homosexuality? You know? Yeah. Uh, so we, it's really, uh, there's always been that kind of tension. Totally. Um, luckily, again, uh, the, the Jesuits stood firm and said, look, we're, we're inclusive and, and there is nothing sinister about this at all. Come on in and listen. And, uh, and so we, we stayed strong too. And I was very proud of that. Um, today, uh, it's, I'm, I'm glad not to be in it. It's, it's just really, it's really awful, you know, to banish certain topics, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's 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 a sad time for me to, I get to it. watch that. So, I mean, I think what we're talking about is just maybe the politics. You know, in any business, school, whatever. There's always politics. There's always yeah. uh, that dance. Anything, anything else that might surprise, you know, somebody that's thinking about being a teacher. Like, you know, they know they know that ins and outs of what it's about, but anything else that surprised you over the years? Pleasantly, it surprised me. I, I did my, my student teaching in public schools in Portland, and because I had a psychology uh, background, they, they plugged me into an alternative school, which was just kids who had been previously booted out of schools, and that was kind of like, uh, that, was, that was some hard, hard knocks training ground. When I went to Eastside, I thought, this is so easy. The kids are all so motivated and polite and everything like that. I talked to uh, folks in public schools that speak of like, you know, kids cursing them out and threatening them and all that. I'm like, what? I sort of lived in a little insulated bubble working in private college prep schools. So um, I know that depending on where you live and work, uh, it can be very different. It can be very hard. A friend of mine uh, teaches uh, near my lake cabin uh, at a school that's got a lot of poverty and a chunk of kids are there going home to trailers with no electricity at night and stuff like that. I said, oh, what's it like? There he says, what's it like? Disneyland. I was in LA where people give me the finger coming and going in class every day. So he said, this is great. And I thought, oh boy. So there, there are various kinds of environment and God bless the folks who can manage those environments well. I think my burnout factor would have been a lot quicker uh, if I didn't feel appreciated. You know, I, I got to walk into rings where people are like, Mr. Riley, hi, you know. And, um, yeah. So it was pretty, it was pretty nice and maybe unrealistic. Um, yeah. I think the, so the that mean, would have been a big shock to me. The mean streets of Bellevue, it was rough right across yeah, right? Bellevue Square. People think yeah. it was easy, but you know, those lattes, Sometimes were so hot that once I spilled one, I mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, it was a little sheltered. So let me ask you. So one of the things I do, um, with my guest is there's different criteria that I, you know, things that I think are important components to think about what, in what you want in a job, for example, freedom, compensation, um, upward mobility, um, what are some of the two or three or maybe two of the things that are really important for you to have in a job and maybe touch on it 
as how it relates to being a teacher. It's like, for example, for me, freedom is really big. I want to be able to leave my job, go pick up my kids, go coach them, whatever. What are some of the things that are prevalent in teaching that are big for you? Uh, I'm nervous about suggesting that this is common among teachers. So, so let's just, just totally be a Rileyism. Um, for me, and especially now I'm just acutely aware that I need to feel contributed. One of the most haunting things I can imagine is just stopping everything and resting or playing golf or whatever. It's like, what good am I to anybody if I still have some gifts and people still need it and and I can offer those? So to feel like who I am and what gifts I have are essential and valued. So to be at a place that values me, yeah, you know, the administrators value me, they respect me, the kids value and respect what I have. Um, that would be a really big thing. I think to be in a place where people just said, D- go do that, you know, not enough of that. We don't want to hear about that. Let's just keep you in this lane. I would feel like, wait, you're, you're not, you're not making use of me that you're not. Yeah. So I, I think that that provides a lot of life energy to know that you're contributing well and that people value you in your workspace. Um, Real quick, I want to jump in on that because uh, I've never heard it articulated like that, but that's my big struggle as a lender is is the stickiness of Dirk, you know, what I am. I don't feel as fully utilized in my line of work. Like there's uh-huh. a lot of, lot of people you can go uh, get a loan with. Um, and so I don't really get to use my my whatever I am, my skills, my, um, you know, maybe a small percentage of my clients value the uniqueness of Dirk, but a lot of times it's not about Dirk. It's about my rate and my fees. And I struggle with that as well. So that's a great one. Is there another one you can think of? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of you as a 18 and a 22 year old, as we visited a lot, how concerned you were about that. I'm so glad you're doing this right now. I gotta tell you, this this you're really uh you're you're gonna you're figuring it out. That's cool. Um I had another one in mind that uh, but um just just thinking back about you again, I, I forgot what I was gonna say about it. Give me a second on that. But but uh oh I, I, here's the other thing. Um I need to be constantly challenged and held accountable. Um for progress so there's an annual it's a bit of a pain in the rear but annual kind of like teacher evaluations and stuff like that um and some of us demeaning like oh we observe this and we think you need to do that out of that enlightened administrators would say you're good huh yeah you're doing so many great things but chances are you know where you still need to improve what are what what would you say and then it's very easy to say, well, yeah, my, my planning is this, or, or I, I'm lazy about that. And I'll say, yeah, so what do you want to do about that? What should we do? Well, you know, and, and to kind of draw it out of me, like, can I see it on paper? Will you commit to me? Can we see this next year? Can we visit again and see if you've done that? That kind of a illuminated leading to prompt me to continuously improve myself was, was a really a great, um, 
criteria for a, for a healthy working environment for me. Would you call that accountability? I would. Okay. But it, it was not a kind of a top-down parent-child transaction at all. It was like colleague to colleague kind of a thing. Now I'm, I'm holding you accountable because I'm, you know, the academic vice principal or whatever, but I'm, I'm asking you to tell me, what is it? And maybe I'll share some things. Maybe I'll say, I, I see that as a strength. I see you might want to look at this, but don't let me, don't let me lay it on you. I just want to bring it out of you. Right. And so um, that might be unrealistic. For a lot of people in work environments, I think a lot of people have a very art hierarchical structure in their work environment. But I think that's a really illuminated way to lead and a dignifying way for for people in any job to continue to improve and discern other other ways. I, I even remember Jim Dean asked me once, uh, why do we keep waiting for you to step up and say, I want to lead at each side. I'm like, uh, he says, I just wonder. And so I was like, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, you're right. I, I do need to do something more. I'm just getting comfy in my classrooms and, and I'm not really contributing like that. So I, I became one of the academic vice principal guys for a few years. And I, I appreciated that kind of prompting. Okay. Um, I like it. Anything yeah. else you can think of? Like, uh, you know, imagine imagine someone coming out of Lewis and Clark and they're all excited to teach. Is there anything else you, not to push them away from being a teacher, but is there anything else that maybe they have no clue that they're going to experience? Well, to my amazement, I met a guy who uh, was a year behind me at high school and I heard that he had gone into uh, special education or something. And when I saw him a couple of years later, I said, so where are you working? And he said, Oh, I'm not. I'm, I'm working at big five sporting goods. I go, oh, sheesh. Well, he said, you know, I started student teaching and I found out how much teachers make. <laughs> Come on, dude. You didn't mean to say that you were that naively engaging in a career that, that you had never spent some time in classrooms, you know. Um, I would just say you spend some time in classrooms. You know, um, I, th I think they kind of mandate that, but I was really almost on the street with my certificate before I ever did any student teaching. That's pretty late for a person to find like, oof, I don't like this. So, so um, are you talking about understanding what it's like to teach or not understanding what yes, the compensation understanding is? Understanding what it was like to be in that environment, understanding what they make, yep. uh, talking to people in that career. Uh, there's, a, there's a cool... Uh, new thing that my son has been involved with called this informational interview. So somebody in a place that they wish that, that like, I had this idea, I'd like to do what you're doing, Dirk. Can we meet for coffee? And just, can I, would you indulge me in a half hour of time if I just ask you about what is this whole thing, this interviewing, podcasting, you know, and then you'd say, well, this is, this is what I'm doing. I think that's a really cool thing that is, is very common now that kids can, or, you know, graduated collegians can, can ask for some time with people and, and really listen to what it's like for them. What do you love about what you're doing? What do you hate about it? Um, that's a really cool thing that was, was not promoted when I was young at all. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do, uh, virtually, right. Um, right. 
eventually you'll be able to search based on title, uh, oh. industry, and then maybe 25 podcasts pop up, you know, and, um, I do think the, a lot of people don't have access to people too. You know, I think, you know, yep. I mean, same with just kind of poverty and I, I mean, there's a lot of things, but having access to information is crucial, I think in terms of success. Um, but I also want to shift the way people think about their job and get out of the old school of, you know, get a job, even if you hate it, you know, it, cause that's a lonely life. And in my opinion, um, yeah. So if you were to start over, yeah. I, I mean, I know that's a hard question sometimes, but let's just say you went back, would you do anything different? I mean, I guess you would probably get in the pole vaulting camp sooner, <laughs> but anything you can think of that would change? I guess not. Sometimes I thought I should have picked something that, that uh, afforded me a... Uh, uh, a little more compensation, you know, camps made me a couple extra grand in the summer. So I felt like, you know, the teachers around me were making 30. Well, I got 40 this year, you know, so I'm all right. Um, a little bit more like that. Uh, really, I think I was, I, I, I got pretty lucky. Um, yeah, I got lucky that I was only going to try teaching as a, as a shortcut way to get to some work with kids and wait and see and it continued feeding me enough that I, I i stayed there i would not have stayed there and it not continued to surprise and feed me with like i really like this um this is good work yeah um it's rewarding for me and you know if i was not in the schools that were you know in which the faculty were were retreating together and and doing a lot of social things together and and there was a lot of that extra community building stuff i'm I might not have been as enchanted. I might have done something else much earlier. Right. So I'm, I'm grateful that I was in a couple of really beautiful school environments. Um, I still remember really fondly students and families from Eastside 40 years ago. You know, it's 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 been very good people to to spend time with, and and the people I'm coaching today, walking out of the gym, I just you know I just love to see them every day. It's like coach, you know, five fives, and how are you? What's going on? You know, how's your leg? How's your dad? Whatever it is, it's just like I'm just so grateful that I get to continue uh, continue doing that. So it surprised me, and then it worked well for me. So I've seen the posts over the years. I mean, I don't mostly young ladies. I I, I don't know, but <laughs> it's it's impressive. I've seen like some of the videos and the the articles you posted about your students or your, your athletes that you're coaching, what they're doing. And it's phenomenal. Uh, it kind of leads me to, to, you know, there's other people at pole vault, right. You know, throughout the country. And you have, um, a consistent group of people that are performing at a high level. So what do you think it is about Tim Riley? Like, what is it about you that makes you such a good coach? Um, I mean, there, there's many guys and gals who could coach pole vaulting. What it is? What is it that makes you different? So the question I've been asked on a bunch of pole vault podcasts in the last few years, and in that truth is, I can't say for sure because I'm just doing it right. But a lot of reputable, like ex-professional pole vaulters and and NCAA pole vault coaches have become friends of mine. Have been asking the question like, "What are you doing? 
how is this working so great? And they come and they spend time with me and one could ask them. Um, one really great long-term NCAA coach came and spent uh, uh, a weekend watching my camp uh, a year ago. And uh, so at dinner, you know, we were talking about this. So what do, what are you seeing? You know, what, what are you doing? He says, he says, I don't know how you do it, man, but I can see why it's working here. I go, what? He said, well, of course, you know, uh, all good pole vault coaches kind of know what they're doing and have good drills and stuff. He just said, you just put so much energy into it. Or your demeanor, your, you know, every little goofball that finally swings a straight trail leg. And they, even if they only go over eight feet, you're just like, what? High fives and all that. I go, yeah, yeah. And he goes, he says, that, I, don't, I think that would exhaust most people. I, I don't know what that is, but I, how long can you do that? I don't know. It's, it gives me energy. And he says, well, that's, that's the deal. You're, he says, it's, you're, you're in a zone that, that you, your passion for it is so crazy. And he says that you just coach with more energy on demeanor. He says, I think, no. So I really appreciated that remark. And, and, uh, and that's, you know, he had nothing at stake to say so or whatever, but he's a great one. He said, I, I, I'm not sure there's like three people doing that that I know of. So there's one answer. I have some theories about the way I teach it. I have, sure. I have developed a different way to introduce it. And everybody's curious about that. And I share it openly. It's, it's more of a strategic way to, to introduce it. But I think, uh, I think perhaps the energy and passion about it is, is as good an answer as I can, as I can find. That's not something you can say, go do that. And it's going to work for you just like it worked for me. Uh, yeah. You know, nothing that can be packaged and sold like that. I, I think this is exactly what this podcast is. It's zone of genius. Like you don't know what it is, but you're in your zone of genius. And, yeah. it, and, and, you know, it's like a good relationship. Like I'm, I've been married. I'm, you know, I have the best wife in the world and, you know, I've had friends over the years get divorces, but when it's real and it's like genuine, you know, it's, it just kind of falls into place. And I feel like that's what's gone on with you is like, I don't know what it is. This is just who I am. And yeah. if that's, that's the message that I hope people watching this podcast and others will walk away with is sometimes it's that easy, right? It doesn't have to be, uh, an effort. I mean, you got to yeah. work hard, put in the time, but when you are leveraging, you know, your natural skill sets and interests, success happens. And from what I see, you know, like my attachment, I've had an unhealthy attachment to money for a lot of my years. Uh, and, and what I've really realized is, um, you know, the folks that I look at that are really successful, you know, they may do well financially, but they really love what they do. And it's hard to fake it. It's hard to run that race that you don't want to win because eventually yeah. you just get tired. Of, and it sounds like you, you're running the right race. Um, okay. So... Uh, looking back, just kind of a random question. Is there a favorite student that you've had, uh, that you've taught? There was a kid I had in my first basketball team ever. It was, who had the funniest jump shot. He'd leap high in the air and he would not shoot until he was on his way down again. And I worked and worked with him, but it could not, it, it, it ultimately could not be fixed. I later saw him at the Bellevue Athletic Club one day, about 30 years later, and he was doing that thing, jump shot. And I said, Dirk, 
Get a hook shot. Do something <laughs> else. <laughs> I focused no, I on you, man. It was always so cool to have you and your colleagues. I tell you what, I've been to your 10, your 20, and your 30-year reunion. And for the last two or three of them, I was the only teacher there. But I felt like my kids. You know, here they are, you know, and of course you, you guys are less like kids and more like Princeton, but uh, it's been beautiful knowing you. Uh, I look forward to lots more time with you. I want to see that beautiful wife of yours soon and see your cool kids and, and let's make that happen. By the way, the jump shot, uh, it was so easy for me. I had to find a way to make it challenging. Cause <laughs> that, that, that's why you did, I, uh, you did that. Yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> you know, what's funny about basketball is. I quit after my sophomore year. I just, I wanted to ski. Barlow and I would go up, yeah. you know, but after high school and college, I, I started really getting into hoops. I don't know if my jump shot ever got that much better, but I really um, loved playing and I wish, yeah. I, wish I, I wish I didn't quit back in high school. No, I, you know what? You did it right. Yeah. You should have skied when you needed to ski. And the reason you're so good at it now is probably because you're smarter and wiser. You can see the way things unfold better than you could when you were younger. When we're young, we're all excited to to shine our little stars, yeah. you know, and all that. And you get into the whole synergy of a well-moving team and knowing each other and who's going to go where and how to beat it. It's really a, a beautiful ballet that you don't understand when you're a kid. It's True. really cool to revisit when you're older. So you did it right. Don't regret it. I get it. Last question. I, I forgot to ask you this, and we'll end on this. I I really love the term authentic success, you know, uh, for a long time, success wasn't really my definition. And I've really worked over the years kind of defining what genuine, authentic success is for me. My question is, what would you say, how would you define authentic success for you? Uh, I don't know what inauthentic success would be as it was a strange concept entirely. Um, let me help you real quick. Like, you know, like for me, I was chasing money. I thought I wanted to move up management. I wanted a nice house. I thought I wanted to live on the lake. I, you know, I wanted to have a second home. Um, but that really wasn't authentic for me. For me, authentic oh. success was, you know, I wanted to be present in my kid's life. I wanted to make an impact on people. I wanted to, you know, and I did that through coaching sports. I wanted to have less stress about finances. So I, I didn't want to be necessarily super ultra wealthy. I just wanted to feel um, safe and, you know, I didn't want to stress out about bills. Um, and I wanted a large family, you know, uh, we have, you know, two kids, so we didn't have a large family, but uh, those are things that I ultimately decide, you know, realize translated to success for me. Does that help a little bit? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's possible that someone who had that house on the lake and all that kind of thing is also authentically successful. Um, and I wouldn't want to judge, you know, right. they're only in it for the money and aren't I noble? I was a teacher. Um, if I didn't really love teaching and it didn't really reward me, I would have gotten out. Um, I'm not doing it because I'm some Christian soldier who happily puts people ahead of income. So I, I don't want to put that stick out. Um, whatever feeds our soul if it's if it's caref carefully discerned it's meaningful for us right um in my opinion contributive now an, an, uh, an accountant on the lake could say i'm making great contributions i'm pe saving people 
squat tons of money because of the insights I have for them. Not cool. We need all of that. Um, you know, there are many gifts of the same spirit, right? We need all kinds of different uh, gift givers to contribute to the fabric of this whole mosaic of human life that we've got. So, um, I, I just think that it, it depends on the, the heart of the person. I think the fact that you realize I've been chasing money and it's not working for me, I, I need to, to focus on different things. Uh, that's, that's a great sign that your uh, restlessness mm-hmm. will always be attended to and, and you uh, will be successful there. I wouldn't call what you tried first a failure. Right. I would just say you realized uh, it was not enough for you and you're looking for something more. I like it. Anything else that you feel like you want to say or you feel pretty complete? I'm excited for your project. I want to get on your uh, menu and see who else you've interviewed and so on. That's it's a cool idea. Thank you. No, I'm interested. Very nice I, idea. I think there's a lot of wisdom out there that uh, people need to hear. Yeah, so, yeah. Tim, thank you. Um, I uh, hope to see you and your wife soon, and uh, I appreciate you coming aboard. Beautiful to be here. Thank you. Hey, brother. <laughs>